0: Hey friends, and welcome back to The Sandwich, hosted by me, Amanda Muse. Today, I have an awesome guest, and we're gonna talk about so many great things, but I love that she just reminded me that the first time she came into my life, because you gotta love Instagram, she was doing a bird dance, and I shared it, and it was fabulous. I have Stephanie here today. And Stephanie is a designer. She's turned a full-time advocate. Now, last Christmas, Stephanie campaigned for her own life to be saved and was the first person in Canada to gain access to a miracle medicine for cystic fibrosis. And we are going to talk in length about that today. And after a massive health transformation, Stephanie co-founded a grassroots movement that is making waves in the healthcare system in Canada. She is also a mom of one. She, I mean, when she says she's a designer, her home is exquisite and she's sitting here staring at me (laughs) welcome stephanie thank you so much amanda thank you for having me here today i really appreciate it i am so excited to chat with you apologies about all the tech stuff that was a nightmare for me to get this started but we're gonna get talking today And one thing I like to do as guests come on the show is just, you know, to give us a little taste of what is your platform? Like, what do you like to share so people can, you know, know what to expect when they're there? Yeah, my platform is
1: uh, on Instagram. It's Life with Gray. My whole journey with Instagram was just to show a real life mom that was also just happened to be chronically ill. I didn't want to put too much focus on it. My initial plan was to do an Instagram account about home decor. I'd moved from downtown Toronto, we bought this little house that used to be a bed and breakfast, and I was all Joanna Gaines about it. I thought, okay, we're gonna renovate it and gonna put it on Instagram. And that was my whole whole goal with Instagram, and maybe just pepper in little bits about living with a chronic illness and having cystic fibrosis. But, you know, as life does, it took an absolute turn and my cystic fibrosis became very prominent. It became a prominent feature in my life as much as I did not want it to be. And my Instagram just kind of snowballed into being more about cystic fibrosis.
0: And thank goodness for it, because I must admit, like, definitely coming in contact with your account, which initially, like, I kind of, I think I, I've known you now for a little while online. Um, but it took me a minute to figure that out as I was going through it. Because like you said, I mean, the decor, first of all, I can, we can see the background here of your home. It's exquisite. <laughs> like some people Thank just you. got that skill. That ain't me. Um, but your home is beautiful. You're, oh my God, your little boy is so sweet. You are a mom. How old is your little guy? He's going to be five in August so funny.
1: That's the one age where you feel like I don't have a baby anymore. He's officially a
0: boy. Oh. And it so keeps coming. Seven bottles of
1: wine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. But isn't that interesting too, hey, how um, you know, with your platform, it does kind of you may start in one area, but it definitely just starts to veer and people end up on your account and they enjoy what you share, but then they're also curious about you as a person. So as you're going through things with cystic fibrosis. I'm sure people are just generally interested because I can't say that I know many people with it up until the last few years. Being exposed to the likes of Jeremy Saunders from Sick Boy Podcast and Turn Me On Podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's, I'm, she's escaping my mind right now. That sweet girl that was on YouTube. Claire? Claire. Oh, Claire. Yeah. She's just like this little sunshine or was a little sunshine. Um, so, and then there was like a song back in the day that, uh, Celine Zion put out with her, niece had cystic fibrosis yeah so like these are little things that stick into my mind but it's like I don't know what that is and in you know true format of a lot of people when something is unknown or a little frightening it's like I don't I don't know what it is like I'm just gonna stay over here and I can't look into it or I don't know about it and right because like fear scares people so yeah scares me
1: I can relate to those words so much because Though, I think, you know, when you say you go onto my Instagram, you're like, I do not I really know what it was about at first. You can see this sort of dual identity, having a dual <laughs> because until I was 34, I was completely in hiding with CF. I was in the closet. I didn't tell anybody about CF. So if you were to say to me five years ago, Steph, you know, tell us a bit about yourself. I'd say, well, I work on Bay Street. I'm a designer. I, I lead a design team. My career is everything for me, uh, to me. My goal is to see as many countries around the world as possible. Uh, if you ever said, you know, what's your next trip? I always had it in mind. It was always on the tip of my tongue. Um, at one point we were planning on moving to Thailand. Like We were just a completely different couple living downtown Toronto, just really thriving and enjoying life. Uh, and then CF, it, it affects everybody in so many different ways. Unfortunately, people still pass away from CF as babies, as kids. You know, often people have a baby that is just failure to thrive, and they won't find out that it was cystic fibrosis. Uh, And then, unfortunately, they'll lose the baby. And it's just, it blows my mind that it's 2020, and children are still dying from this disease. Right now in Canada, we have the highest life expectancy. It's almost 50 years old, which is crazy. When I was born, uh, my parents were just told, bring her home. Give her a good life, you know, like maybe I'd make it to my teenage years. Um, So there's this massive part of me that didn't want to acknowledge that side of me. Just like you said, well, if you don't know about it, you're kind of scared of it, you kind of push it aside. I pushed aside my CF for 34 years, but to the next level. Like it was intense. Uh, My employer of 16 years didn't know. Uh, my in law. Wow. Yeah. No. My my. You know, I got married, and my my husband's parents didn't know. Most of my friends. You know, my friend that we've traveled around the entire world with. Um, she didn't know. <laughs> so,
0: um, I'm like, it was like I'm shocked. Wow.
1: It was next level. Um, I just really hated that side of me. I've always been a confident woman, someone that was proud of who I am, as long as I was able to paint it into this perfect little picture, a perfect little box, and and be very much in control of that picture that I put out to the world. But inside my house, there was so much struggle that I feared people to see. And, and to be honest with you, even when I saw people like Jeremy being so bold, talk about his CF, and Claire doing these YouTube videos before everyone did YouTube videos, right? Oh, yeah. When I saw them do that, this is gonna seem very harsh and it wasn't about them. But if I saw any CF patient being honest and bold with who they were, I hated them. And I I really genuinely, and that's such a horrible word to say, but that's how dark my emotions were with cystic fibrosis. It had nothing to do with the human and the life behind these stories. It had to do with that. Well, how are you comfortable talking about death or cystic fibrosis or, or the medications we take? How are you okay with that? When in my life, I spent so much energy just pushing it down uh, forcefully. And I'd actually have nightmares that people would come in my house and see that I had my medication out or see an IV pole. You know, even when I was staying in the hospital, I would still try to run my team at work. I'd be, you know, we weren't doing video conferencing at that time, which was handy, but I would do phone calls. If my V was going, if my V started beeping, I would just try to muffle it on a call. <laughs> I was just so incredibly determined to show the world that I didn't have CF. And if, and if you even had the inkling that I was sick, well, then I'd plan the next crazy trip or I'd be, you know, whitewater rafting in, in Thailand or rock climbing in Cambodia. You know, I just try to do anything that was the exact opposite of a CF
0: patient. Wow. Okay. First of all, I am floored this. I did not see from your Instagram <laughs> page, girlfriend. Wow. And isn't it, yeah. I mean, just listening to this and letting it wash over me. It's like, it's like you said, the judgment you were placing on those people who are being brave and living their truth. It's, it's not them. It's, and isn't that no. always the case? The judgment, it's what we feel about ourselves yeah. just <clears throat> projecting onto those people it's everything i feared to be you know their courage uh
1: there was a huge part of me that wanted to be that person to talk about cf you know on a podcast (laughs) but absolutely i just had so much personal work to do and it was a lot of work and it was a ton of work but what really sort of broke me open was the birth of my son um you know i was i'm almost 37 now He was 32 when he was born, and the first two years of his life, as crazy as it seems, it was the first time that I'd ever done medicine in front of someone new. And even though this someone new was a baby that was mine, he he was so fresh and innocent, and he didn't have judgment. And it's so interesting to put that much weight onto an infant's life. It's not even appropriate, but it was just my opportunity to do something that was me in front of Someone knew, even though they were just a baby, you know?
0: Wow, girl. Okay, so let's backtrack just a moment. For people who don't Mm -hmm. know what CF is, because, I mean, once you start to learn about it and you see the exposure to people who have it in the conversations, you get it. But give my listeners a little bit of an idea of what it's like. You know, is this something? So obviously, you have this at birth, right? What is it? Yeah, you're
1: born with it. It's a recessive genetic disease. So it's like having blue eyes. You get a gene from mom and a gene from dad. Unlike blue eyes, the gene is defective. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, I won't get into the whole science of it, but the result of this defective gene is uh it affects every single one of your order your organs, sorry, primarily your lungs and your digestive system. So my lungs uh constantly fill with fluid. I get constant lung infections and pneumonias, and my digestive tract does not work like yours. Mm. Um it almost, you know, when you describe some to someone about the digestive system, they almost think it's, it's a superhero power because I don't digest fat. So when people say, oh, I'd love to not digest fat because we're so obsessed with, you know, eating habits and diet culture. But for me, um, for the first time in my life, I'm actually gaining weight. And I've never felt so healthy and beautiful because the way my pancreas is very uh, damaged from the day I was born uh, and I don't produce digestive enzymes. So when I eat food, I don't get any of the nutrients from it. I don't get any of the fat soluble vitamins, which is vitamin D, E, A, K. I don't get much of it. So you really just look malnourished and you start fading away and Um, I was fading away so much from a nutrition point of view when I was younger that it would hurt to walk because my feet had no padding on them. Or even when I got out of the shower, I'd have to tip over because my collarbone, you know, it was such a divot there that it would have to sort of pour out the water. I looked very emancipated. I looked very sick. Uh, And then at that point, my lungs were not too involved in my disease. They were still doing fairly well. Uh, But it got to the point that either I was going to grow and become, you know, what I'm now a five foot five woman or I'd stay very tiny and malnourished. So uh, in grade nine, which is just the perfect timing, (laughs) I actually got a feeding tube placed in my stomach. So I had nightly feeds as well as eating like a linebacker during the day. So, you know, you can imagine how when you're going through grade nine and that whole trying to find your identity and I'm spending time in hospitals trying to manage now a a painful insertion of a feeding tube uh it was it was a very dark sort of tough time in my life and i think those were some formative years that really showed me that cf is not fun it's not glamorous and i need to hide this even more
0: absolutely just hearing that and trying to put myself back into that age and all you want to do is be like everybody else you know when even when you are considered an able-bodied person and I can't even imagine having that compound and furthermore in a time that wasn't like now where you can find people to look to like role oh, models 100%. and like
1: there was no internet when I was born you know oh. <laughs> like CF moms today they get a diagnosis and to be honest with you even when if I tell people about CF I, I say don't google it because it's, it's not it's a scary thing to google but my mom didn't have anything like that she was handed a pamphlet and sent home and said you know good luck you know it was given this massive new regime for this little baby you know and i I had i have two older siblings i have a brother and a sister that don't have cf and this is not anywhere else in our family that we know of so wow there was no preparation for this there was no ultrasound that saw clues and prepared her for life with a child with a chronic illness uh i you know as a mom now i can look back and and just have so much respect for the strength that my mom had
0: that's unbelievable, and it's and it's it's almost hard. Like I find, I don't know if you've had these conversations yet. It's gray, right, your son? Great. great yeah yeah so you know when you have these conversations with your your little ones and you're like yes yeah, so in that time when they wanted to build this thing they didn't have you know they didn't have the internet to figure out how to do it they had no one to ask yeah. and my kids are looking at me like what are you talking about i'm like i know it's, it was the dark ages you know yeah, so to exactly. go through these hard things so were there you know i don't know you know and i know we're not going into all the science about it but you know were there support groups for your mom was there like a, a team at the hospital that she had other moms like how 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 did that work out
1: um we go to clinic every three months since the day i was born so mm. in that time you kind of sit next to different people learn about their stories and my mom has a story from when i was a baby and she sat next to this mom that was the same age as her looked about the same age and she said oh does your does your daughter have cf2 Uh, And at this point, there was no difference between a CF pediatric clinic and an adult clinic because people didn't live long enough to have an adult clinic. Wow. So my mom sat next to this woman and she's like, oh, you know, does your daughter or son have CF? And she said, oh, no, I have CF. And my mom practically, like, grabbed this woman, brought her over to my dad. And she's like, Gord, like look, she has CF, like Steph, and and she's an adult, and she was just so ecstatic to see someone that was grown and doing well that was actually not a child. It was a very eye-opening moment for her, but um, they did have different things for CF, like camps, but my mom always wanted us to just not have CF be a big identity in terms of just be like, Steph, you do you. You live your life. She didn't really find a need for me to go to camp and sit around talking about CF. She didn't feel like it was a positive thing to do. But thank God she did that because now, much like we have in COVID, there's a six-foot rule for CF patients. I don't know if you saw the movie Five Feet Apart. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, That movie was so beautiful. I actually read the book. I haven't seen it because I didn't know if it would be too much to see. <gasps> to be honest, after the book.
0: it was it was really hard to watch because it was you know you, the movie you're not imagining it for yourself, right? And it was very well done. And that, like, from what I understand, the director, like, based it off of Claire, in a way. Like, Claire, She was the inspiration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just for yeah, those the listening. Main character. Oh, it was mm-hmm. Claire, it, Um, you know. Was Wineland. A, Wineland, that's right. She was a YouTuber, like, before YouTubers were YouTubers and shared her journey. And she's just this delicious little bright light. Um, And so the story when you learn about Claire is about that. Um, So yes, the six feet rule. So tell me about that a little bit.
1: Well, people with CF, we all have different, I mean, there's no glamorous way to talk about CF. So just, you know, hold on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. everyone with CF carries different bacteria in their lungs. And this is bacteria just from the environment. Like if you were to go and garden, there's bacteria in the soil. If you're going to, if you know, even with your pool, there's bacteria in a pool if you don't keep it carefully, you know, adjusted. Uh, But with people with CF, because our lungs are so damp, they're just the perfect host environment for environmental bacteria. So each CF patient grows different types of bacteria over time. And it's very difficult to eradicate that bacteria. So you just kind of live with it, uh, treat it with IV antibiotics, oral antibiotics, medications to try to prolong your life, but you really can't eradicate this this bacteria. But if I have one bacteria and like Claire Wineland has a different bacteria, if we were to get close enough to have, you know, even to exchange like you would with COVID, close enough to be able to talk and maybe cough on one another, uh, we could exchange our bacterias and get each other exponentially more sick. So the whole thing with the CF community is this massive feel of isolation because not only are you, um, you know, every CF is very different. So not every one story is the same. So you feel very alone in that. But also you can never have a friend with CF in real life. Wow. I mean, thank God for social media because I have so many amazing friends that will talk for five hour Zoom calls. But There is something about hugging someone and enjoying a coffee or a tea. You know, I'd love to have one of my friends over just have tea on the porch, but it's just far too dangerous.
0: Like this is not an area of the world that I know really much about. And so (laughs) and I would imagine there's many listeners with the same thing. And I love learning about this from you because you do share so much positivity and you are doing some incredible work behind the scenes because what I want to get to is what happened because when I when I you know discovered you on Instagram this is why I'm shocked by the whole this dual life thing because I mean, you were dancing with your IV pole, and you're like, <laughs> you know, like you were. I was yeah. like, look at this, babe. She is confident. She is owning her truth. She is doing her life and sharing it with the world to see, like, how brave. And I'm hearing this. I'm like, are we talking about the same lady here? So, oh
1: yeah, yeah. You have no idea. Even when I'd write an Instagram post, I would be pouring sweat by the time I hit posts. and it was it was just pouring myself that I hid for so long into a certain character count with hashtags, you know, it was so crazy on Instagram, but it was completely everything that was out of my comfort zone. And it took me years of therapy and years of self-acceptance work, reading everything that Brené Brown wrote, you know, like I was just, I'm a self-help junkie, mainly because there was a need for it. You know, when I first had my son, Whenever there was times of quiet and peace, and there was so much of that with that first year, I had people tell me that I was like postpartum elated instead of depression because I was just on cloud nine that first year he was born. But in those moments of true happiness, there was always this nagging at me saying I wanted to tell my truth. I wanted to be, heaven forbid something happened to me, I wanted to be the one to put my story up there. I didn't want someone to hear it in someone else's words and someone else's understanding. Um, so I, I just made this huge push in myself to, to slowly, actually, it wasn't slowly, to be honest. It was slowly journal and self-accept. But then I, like a crazy woman, just went on Facebook one day. I wrote a huge post. I I was on FaceTime with my husband and my best friend, and we literally went five four three. Two, I pushed enter and I just burst into tears because all the things I hid for thirty-four years were just bam out on the internet, you know. And that was the first time that I came out with it. And there was part of me that thought, "Mm, should I have some conversations with people, you know, some of my best friends of ten years that don't know? Oh, I thought, you know what? No, my God, yeah, wow, Uh, yeah. Like, um, But I didn't have those conversations. I had them with some people, but for the most part, I just said, you know what, this isn't about anyone else but me right now. I need to do this before I lose the courage. And I just put it out there. And even one of my great friends, that's a neighbor up the street, she's like, I'm sorry, am I reading this correctly? She's like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever to my ears right now. She was like, I'm so confused right now. Uh, And and a lot of people were, but...
0: um, You got to rip that band-aid off, man.
1: Well, part of me thought the universe would crack in half. (laughs) And the other part of me thought, oh, no one really cares. And I think they're both very... Like, it's a sobering experience. Because for me, my universe cracked in half when I hit enter. But it was really humbling to know, like, it wasn't about ego, but it was about that people are supportive. They're not going to, they're not going to all of a sudden shun me. They're not going to turn me away or think less of me as a friend. Um, yeah, they're, they're just kind of surprised I was able to do that on my own for so
0: long. Wow. Should have been a spy or something instead of a designer. I know. <laughs> it's like, do a <laughs> <laughs> But isn't that interesting, that narrative that we can tell ourselves, like, if people know this about me, I'm going to be less to them or, you yeah. know, they will ostracize me. And when in the fact it's the opposite, we're just like, Oh, I didn't know that. Now it's just an, another thing we know about you. Like this is wow. So how many years ago was that, that you pushed that go button? Uh, that was two years ago. Wow. So it's like, so like I pushed the go fresh. button that I created a logo, a name.
1: I was like, let's do this. <laughs> so I just um, from Zero to a hundred. And that's, but you know what? thank god i did because if i hadn't have done that self-acceptance work if i haven't if i didn't get to that place in life i don't know if i'd be here today like i is as crazy and outlandish as it seems i truly believe that self-acceptance saved my life because i put in the work and then i was able to advocate for myself and then i was able to save my own life
0: i want you to tell i know a little bit about this journey but i want you to tell me and my audience about that like What was that tipping point and like, where are you now with this?
1: Last year, the last two years really were tough. Um, I was on IV antibiotics more than I wasn't. My days combined looked like 10 hours a day focused on treatments, either inhaled antibiotics or IV antibiotics. And I lost everything. I lost my career that I loved. I used to skip to work every day but the doctors said steph you have to focus full time on your health now you can no longer try to live this life and and it crushed me because you know your career is your identity and i was all about my career uh but you know i shifted my focus i left my career but that involved a lot of long days at home um but my health began to absolutely spiral every time i had a clinic appointment uh my lung function would just keep dropping and dropping and i didn't have much more to lose in my lung function then last year, I thought I was just over the cusp of a big infection. Uh, my parents live in Florida, and I was FaceTiming my mom, and I was joking. I was like, oh, I guess you missed all that drama because it was such a tough winter, and she usually comes home at the end of the winter. And she was always on the cusp of, should I fly home? Should I stay? You know. Um, and then I was just joking about that, and my phone dies. So I go upstairs to get my charger, and as I'm running up the stairs, I thought, oh, good. These IV antibiotics are working because I could go up the stairs like this. Just phenomenal. Uh, I get upstairs to get my charger, and all of a sudden, um, my lungs started filling with blood. So I came downstairs, um, but the blood wouldn't stop. Uh, it just it just kept coming up. Uh, so by the time I know I'm reaching for my phone charger, I'm plugging my phone, and I'm waiting for that Apple symbol to come up on the screen. And you know how long that can take when you need to do something urgent, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm worried that I'm going to die before my mom answers FaceTime. But I wanted her to see my face just in case I'd lost consciousness. That's why I was FaceTiming again, you know? And I don't have a landline. So, you know, 911 was not, not uh, available to me. Uh, but by the time she answered, I just, you know, it was pretty graphic looking. And she immediately called everybody that was close to be able to rush me to the hospital. The reason why we call someone close instead of an ambulance is because If possible, if I'm able to survive, I need to go to my clinic, my specialist, because my lungs are so delicate that uh, I couldn't tolerate some of the treatments that a normal hospital would give me. I need to go to where my specialist team is and where people that know about CF can treat me. So I was rushed down there and, uh, you know, the blood had stopped. I was able to, you know, they they got me in there pretty fast. And the doctor just said, you know what, like, uh, we're going to start you on some blood clotters, some more antibiotics, uh, and let's just keep you for observation. Uh, that night while I was there, the blood came again, but it was actually worse than the first time. And I was rushed to the ICU because they couldn't stop the bleeding. Um, I really thought that uh, once again, that I might die because I'm sitting there trying to breathe, uh, with so much, you know, blood around me. And, um, the ICU team just came up to evaluate and they're looking at me like, no, 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 she needs to be in the ICU. So I went down to the ICU and I only needed to stay there for one night, but that night there was actually a beautiful experience. Like, and I looked to like, you get such amazing care. I felt like a celebrity, you know, <laughs> like I'm sitting there. Uh, I was there for maybe two hours. The woman's like, do you need a sponge bath? Like, not I'm cool. She's like, no, no, let's give you a bath. So I'm like getting sponge bathed. I was just totally pampered and i felt guilty taking up a bed in the icu because i was no one else in the icu was aware and not intubated so i was just sitting there they rolled in a tv for me because they were so excited they said oh usually our patients can't watch tv would you like would you like a tv Aww. they were just incredibly kind i love that um, i but need to pause
0: you for a second like you literally yeah. are like coughing out blood and you don't think you're worthy of the sponge bath i'm kind of like girlfriend like like this is why we pay taxes okay carry on so you got your tv yeah, and your sponge bath but I, yeah
1: no i felt very pampered and glo- like i'm gonna tell you an icu bed is the comfiest bed i've ever slept in i was just sitting there like this is nice you know um but um after that because there was so much damage done from all of that Fluid. Um, it really spiraled my lungs. Uh, from then, slowly, uh, it grew more of an infection and more of a pneumonia. I lost the ability to walk. Um, at one point in the hospital, having a conversation with my son, all of a sudden, I would just start to almost hyperventilate because it took so much energy, like the mental energy to be try to be on. You know, with a with a four year old was just so much that it would just break me down and. And I didn't think I was too bad, but then I'd have girlfriends come to visit me uh, and they would just look at me and start and burst into tears. And they've known me my whole life, but they've just never seen me in this, in this state. Um, my girlfriends were amazing though. Everyone took turns just sleeping with me in the hospital so I didn't have to be alone because I was so you know, so sort of touch and go that I was afraid to go to sleep at night. I was worried that I wouldn't be awake in the morning. Uh, so after that, my lungs just were not recovering. Um, But at the same time, in the States, this miracle medicine was coming out. So I'm seeing people that were in my position getting access to this medication, and their lives were just turning around. And then over here in Canada, I was going for a lung transplant assessment. My team said, you know what, Steph, these lungs are done. Like, you know, they didn't say that frankly, but they said, (laughs) you know, have you considered a lung transplant? And hearing that was tough because that's not an easy surgery and there's nothing certain about those outcomes. Um, But that was where I was at in life. So I went over to Toronto General. I had this huge assessment done. It was incredibly mentally difficult. There was some pain involved, but it was by far more of a mental challenge than a physical one. But while I'm doing this, I'm seeing people that live an hour and a half from me talking about like, going on instagram crying happy tears because they get a second chance at life so i thought you know i have to do everything in my power to be here for my son and i hell or high water i'm getting this medicine whether we're moving to the states whatever we're doing this isn't my journey right now i was at a fork in a road i get a lung transplant or i get a miracle medicine and a chance for my life to be saved um so i vowed to myself and my son that i'm going to get this for us so Um, I harassed the clinic a lot and said, you know, is there any sort of compassionate care program that might open up in Toronto? Uh, Eventually there was an opportunity for me to apply to the company for compassionate care. And what that means is because the drug is not available in Canada and because my health is at that time was at end stage, uh, they said, if you apply for compassionate care, the hope is that they give you the medicine for life for free. So (laughs) I applied, I immediately went on Instagram, did a video saying, you know, this is the first day of my life changing forever. I'm applying and I don't get to write them an essay and tell them, you know, how much I need this drug. I don't get to tell them that I want to see my son turn eight one day or that I want to see my husband turn 45. You know, I don't get to tell them all these things. I just have to have faith in the system that I'll be able to get this medicine. Um, And I really had this vision in my mind that I'm going to get this medicine. The tree is still going to be up because this was around the fall time. I thought I'm going to get it for Christmas. It's going to be my Christmas wish. Girl, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought, you know, it's going to be my Christmas wish. I'm I. I was very much about visualizing that the tree is still up. I have stockings uh, you know, on the mantle, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna have the two pills in my hand, and I'm gonna hug my son, and it's gonna be the best day ever. And I just kept that vision so closely in my, in my heart. Um, but it was a, a lot longer journey than I, <laughs> I thought it would be, and I started losing a bit of hope. But every time I lost hope, I just thought, you know what? I just need a giant microphone. And I started reaching out to everybody in Canada that had any sort of influence. Oh, yes, I reached out did. to Celine Dion. I was like, hey, Celine, where are you? You <laughs> know, <laughs> like, I re- like you shared my story. You know, a lot of Canadians shared my story. And it was, it was so wonderful because I just said, this is this mom's Christmas wish. I know a lot of women can't relate to having cystic fibrosis or being a mom that has cystic fibrosis. Uh, you know, I'm getting, I'm kind of rare in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, less so now that this medicine's here, but um, I knew that people could relate to wanting their best for their kid. And kids need their moms, you know? So I just said, listen, like, this is my future. And it, it won't just affect me if I don't get this medicine, it'll affect my husband and my son. And I don't want that for him. So I took all my mama bear rage and I put it into this fight. I took a public speaking course just to try to, like, hone in my story because I wasn't used to speaking about CF. I wrote my local paper. I wrote every single news station possible. And finally people started listening one after another and stories started getting picked up. I wrote, uh, I sent care packages to the pharmaceutical company. <laughs> I that. I sat in Starbucks the week like a couple weeks before Christmas when everyone's doing their Christmas shopping. And I just laid down all these photos of my son and um, my husband and my family. And I just said, My son was my first miracle. I need you to give me my second miracle. And this save this Canadian family. And I just hand wrote all of these sticky notes. Beautiful. Uh, and I registered it. I said I sent it this registered mail, so uh-huh. like they better open it, right? Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then finally, I um, I had an appointment to test yet another cocktail of IV medication. And um, it was the worst appointment of my life. The pharmacist came in um, right as I was crying because my lung function was sitting at 28%. And it was <sighs> so hard to breathe. I was on full-time oxygen. Um I was really a shell of who I was. And then right at that moment, the pharmacist came in and he's like, Steph, your hard work has paid off and you're going to be the first in Canada to receive Trikafta on compassionate care for life. (laughs) And I just like, one life lottery. I just absolutely burst into tears. And I just, it was the best moment of my life besides my son. I'm bursting
0: into tears. Oh, (laughs) can't help it. That is like, girl, you need a movie. (laughs) This is unbelievable. So you're literally sitting there. Okay. So, cause I'm just like, logistically, how does this work? So they come back to your, like, how did, how did that part happen? So you're fighting for this drug. They don't come to you and like, here you go. Like, uh, no, like I actually got an
1: email from somebody at the company saying, okay, we're looking into your file because I was emailing them all the time. I wow. was, I thought I was going to be on a no fly list. I was like <laughs> a dog with a bone. I was tagging them in every story. I was talking about them on global news. Uh, and then they'd heard, like, you know, I got the word that I was going to be the first one to get it. Um, and then I had to wait for a couple weeks because Health Canada had to approve a special access program. Right. So Vertex donates this to me. And Health Canada just needs to give it a tick in the box saying, like, sure we'll let her not die. Oh and God. <laughs> so, But like, they, really? Yeah. No, it's true because this whole time I was pleading to, equally to vertex this manufacturer that makes the medicine, but also to Canada. Because, like, you know, if you didn't have food, you're not going to get mad at Loblaws or something for not giving you food. You're going to get angry with your support system and your network that's supposed to, you know, your country that's supposed to take care of you. So for me, I was really angry that, in the States, people were able to have options. And in Canada, we don't have options. And, and without them, we'll die. You know, it's not like we'll have a subpar quality of life, no. we simply die. Absolutely. Um, so I was writing everybody, but when I heard from Vertex that they were going to throw me this bone, it was generally like living the life, the, winning the life lottery. Um, and it took a few weeks for it to get here. And in those few weeks, I continued to spiral with my health. <laughs>
0: right it yeah like a few weeks doesn't seem long for you know it's just what's a few weeks but when your lung yeah. function is that low i mean wow so mm, keep going i'm just like i am riveted well,
1: <laughs> well the um it was getting incredibly scary my mom had flown home to take mm. care of me because my husband was fa- afraid to go to work I couldn't be a mom. You know, I couldn't make dinner. I couldn't walk to the kitchen. Like, I'm sitting in my family room right now, and the couch behind me was turned into a hospital bed. I had full-time nurses coming to the house. Uh, and twice the week before I got the medication, my mom and my husband had to carry me off the bathroom floor because I'd had a bath, and I couldn't get out. Or I, I, I got out, or I was on the floor, and I just had to lay down. So floors became very comfy, you know. Um, so I had I just felt like I was flying down without a parachute and just soaring into a very scary place. And then I got my parachute. You know, I got FedEx over this amazing medicine, uh, and then I actually took my first dose on global news. I needed everyone to see the family that's impacted by this, that it's not this war on big pharma or Canadian governments, like between all of that war are families that are being impacted. So I wanted everyone to see the emotion behind that. Uh, So global news was here. I was standing there with my IV pole. I popped the first two and the biggest weight came off my chest and I just burst into tears. I'm like, this is the beginning of the rest of our lives. It was, it was crazy. And the first 24 hours of taking the medication, my lungs became to, began to transform. Like all this infection just left my body. Wow. Um, By 10 o'clock that evening, I was in the kitchen having a cup of tea, like pouring tea, which seems like not a big deal, but I couldn't walk to the kitchen to pour a cup of tea before that. And by the end of the week, I was at Costco. Like, I was genuinely just shut shut pushing a cart in Costco. Like It was like, I know not the dream place to go, but still. Um, to just be able to be out of the house, I started being able to drive again because it was too scary for me to think of driving. Um, I just gained independence back instantly. and now And then the whole winter, this was in January, the whole winter, I've had all these firsts. For the first time, I've gone tobogganing with my son. Because you know how hard that is, right? Like climbing up a hill in Absolutely. the school. So for the first time, going tobogganing, as the weather warmed up for the first time, riding a bike in a couple decades, I'm a completely different parent now. And it's just, it's just amazing, but it's still so frustrating. And I would be lying if I didn't say I had a lot of guilt that the rest of Canada doesn't have this.
0: Right. So, can you tell me in a nutshell, like, what is it that this, you know, I, what is it that this medicine does? Is it, does it heal things? Does it repair things?
1: So that's a good question um, because a lot of people are confused. Like, oh, you're you're better now, and it's it's not a cure. But if a child were to get this, or someone very young that didn't have to go through all the trauma that I went through for the last five years, you know, I had one point where my lung collapsed, and when my lung collapsed, that did a lot of damage. So if I were to get this medicine. The be earlier before my lungs had scar tissue throughout them, I'd be in a much better place right now. But what it does is, you know, I said that we get defective protein, uh, this defective gene from both of our mom and my dad, and it goes in and it actually corrects the gene. It corrects that defective property of the of the gene. Wow. Like it's a sci-fi movie. It's incredible. This is so, incredible. So it fixes your, you know, it really did a lot of, um, just fixing of my digestive system, of my lungs. Um, I used to have to go to sleep at night and sort of try to find a channel to breathe through, like sit in a certain position and try to find a channel. And now I just lie on my back and breathe. Like, it's so cool, you know? Like, I find myself just sitting here and going, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Because I just, for the first time in as long as I can remember, like, if you were to, you know, if I were to close my eyes, it feels like I got a lung transplant. Like it's it's insane. Without having to be completely cut open and, and through everything that the trauma that comes with a massive mm-hmm. surgery, I feel like I have it. Now, because I'm almost 37 and in CF years, I'm kind of old, you know. <laughs> um, this damage, I'm not gonna get lung function completely back. So the right. last The last test I had, I'd gone up to 39%, Wow, which is a huge jump, but the quality of life difference is just night and day.
0: So it's almost like like a preventative kind of thing, right? Like if you were a younger person, or not preventative, but kind of sustains where you are in a way, and then it...
1: But that's the thing, though. Like if I got this when I was 12, um, yeah, I would have had some of the weight gain issues, but my lungs weren't really that impacted. I didn't spend my first... And the thing is, children still die of CF. So right now, uh, I think even in the States, you have to be 12 years or older to get this medicine because it's pretty hard on your liver. Okay. Um, but eventually, I think they'll change those and they'll modify the medicine and things will grow and evolve over time. But if I were to get this as a kid, my life expectancy would be an average life expectancy. It wow. would no longer be a life-shortening disease. So that's why, you know, I talk to a lot of moms with new, di- newly diagnosed babies And I genuinely, in my heart, believe that the future is so bright for these kids. Like, I don't think, like, it's no longer a death sentence with this innovative medication in America, you know, but, like, in Canada, we still don't have this medication. The only reason why I got it is because I would die without it. You have to be at end-stage lung disease to qualify to apply. So you have these people that are at 50% lung function that are being told, sorry you're too you're too well, so even though they could have you know gave up the idea of having a family, left their careers, everything that I went through,
0: they're just told they're too well Wow, you know when it comes to this advocating, like I have to say, hearing your story, you know, I know this is the part where social media is, um, you know, we share what we want to share and we share what we're comfortable sharing because in, I mean, I don't watch everyone's story who can right? but you catch people's things. I had no idea how sick you were in that time. And I, that's obviously, you don't want to share your private life like that, but it just goes to show like, Wow, you were going through some stuff during that time. Social
1: media is so bizarre, though. I remember I did do an Instagram story from the ICU, which felt highly inappropriate, but I just thought, I just thought this is just from a human experience. This is interesting, you know? Absolutely. I lost so many followers that day. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. Obviously, I'm fighting for my life. I don't care about numbers here or there, but I was just like, you know what that's like?
0: Wow. I never watched the movie. Did you ever see that movie, The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio? It's no, like, but I like that beach. Best. Oh yeah, I stayed across yeah. from that beach. Oh, um nice. uh, but the concept that I which is why I, I don't want to watch it because it'll make help me lose more faith in humanity. But it's kind of like right. this feel-good society. So everything's good, everything's groovy until someone breaks a leg. And then you're like, You're kind of bugging me with your bad vibes. So we're just gonna right. push you over there. I don't wanna look at you because you're you're ruining my day, you know? And it's like right, that yeah, concept sure. of like Ooh, that looks hard and i'd rather watch you know are you kidding me like can we not appreciate like people just don't want
1: to see it though i honestly i'm not angry at them either though because especially right now the world's a tough place i actually did a really great interview with a big news station that didn't get aired because of the news right now it kind of got you know pushed down until it was deleted Mm -hmm. but they gave me the footage the footage and i actually haven't shared it because I'm like, can people take anything more heavy right now? Because the world's not an easy place. And I don't want to add to anyone's mental health stress, you know, but I also do want to still elevate the message that we need to make change uh, for the CF population right now and for the rare disease population.
0: Absolutely. And it's, it is a message worth sharing. And I, I appreciate the way that you share things. It's like, I don't know. It's a nice, sometimes we do need a little shake though, to be reminded that there's things going right. on that we can help and we can care about multiple things at the same time.
1: Right, you know, right, you can experience
0: right. joy and also want to help over here and feel sad about this mm. and feel happy about that. So talk right. to me a little bit about the work that you're doing with advocating for this drug, because I feel like, like you're saying, you do feel oh, you've got this more people need it
1: yeah so i took the first dose on global television and that you know it was labeled as pickering mother gets miracle medicine <laughs> and, um that went viral within the cf community because everyone's a lot of people said i'm sorry what there's a miracle out there that i don't know about and that was shocking that one people didn't know about it because i thought guys how is there something out there that could help us and not everyone is fighting and just screaming at the top of their lungs for this medication. Like how is everyone not, I felt like I was in crazy world. Um, but then I also had like half of Canada start messaging me on Facebook because it had linked to my Facebook account and, um, just start, everyone started sending either. They were congratulating me Or they were telling me about their son or daughter that was very sick. And, you know, I'd be walking through Loblaws and I just started to have the ability to like go to the grocery store again and it opened up Facebook and it'd be talking about this girl in a ventilator or these tough stories to read. And I was having a hard time processing all that because I'm like, I'm... And some people are very angry. They're just sending me letters that they would have said to, they're like, I just sent this to Doug Ford. You take it. I'm, like, well, I'm just someone that has still 28% lung function healing, you know? So um, I tried to do my best to respond to everyone. Some people reached out to me on Instagram and I Facetime them, like I did like an Instagram video mm-hmm. conference with them. <clears throat> I wanted to be mindful that I was in their shoes, you know, a week before that, and that I felt their heart and that they're just trying to do something that makes a difference in their kid's life or in their own life. So I tried to respond to everyone, but I was talking with a few friends of mine that have CF that were also on IV polls at the time. And I was having a hard time. I said, guys, I can't do this. I can't take on everyone's story when I'm still so fragile. I mean, I want to, but I'm having a hard time. So they said, Steph, let's create an email. I just made a simple Gmail account. And let's just direct everyone to that, and we'll take turns all responding to these families, because we didn't want anybody to be left in the dark. We were also noticing a huge need for information. People just didn't have it. So from that, we did we created this grassroots movement called CF Get Loud. And we now have almost 4,000 people on it. Uh, we were supposed to do a big rally Um before COVID happened, but it got canceled due to COVID, which is so ironic. You know, it's a bunch of people fighting for a respiratory miracle, but it got canceled because of COVID.
0: <laughs> respiratory <laughs> so illness. We you
1: just, know. We're just not winning in the CF community. And also all the, all the news stories about this miracle medicine has gotten pushed down because of COVID. So we're hoping now that things... You know, news is covering more than that, that maybe we could get some airtime again. But our whole mission is to elevate everyone's voices. You know, someone like me, I was very confident jumping on an Instagram story or talking to the news outlets, but not everyone is. So we want to elevate everyone's story. We want to empower people because. People get caught up in the details about, you know, bureaucracy and the politics of it all. And I want to encourage people that it's about your story of, of your life and your lived experience. And if you're walking to an office of an MP, they can't dispute that, that you just want to le- live and have the right to breathe. So I want to, people to really feel empowered about their journey and their story without all that extra the politics involved. Um I just educate everybody that this is available and these are the roadblocks in our way and the reasons why we don't have this in Canada right now.
0: This is amazing work. I've been following. I didn't know. I must admit, I didn't know about the the movement. I've been seeing you talk about it. There's Emily. Is her name Emily? And she... So
1: Emily Lyons is an amazing, amazing human being. She was partnering us with the rally. Uh, Emily Lyons has a foundation called Jewels and she, she sells watches and beautiful jewelry and all of that profit goes to CF patients. Wow! And she genuinely will never turn away a CF patient that's in need. Uh, and then she heard about this movement that we're doing and she offered to partner with us because she has great resources that we don't. And she just is such a powerful, amazing woman. And she offered to sort of partner with us with this rally. It was just so unfortunate that the rally didn't happen though. You know, (laughs) it's so unfortunate, but honestly, one, one cool thing we did though, is we had this giant town hall where we brought together different people that are educating, um, The CF population in Canada. There's CF Canada, CF Treatment Society, CORD, which is the Canadian Organization for Rare Diseases, uh, and and Get Loud. And we just had this big conference saying, this is the State of the Union, this is what's happening, and this is what we need to do to sort of push and make changes in Canada.
0: This is amazing. I'm really excited to see what you do with this. I mean, your story, having watched it unfold over here for a little while, it's incredible. And I think the more that you share, like you said, you know, it's not about the bureaucracy. It's like you are one person who now, your little guy and your husband, Mm -hmm. you get to be with them for much longer. And it's like, this is it. We want to see those real stories. And this is the beauty of where and the time that we live in, that you can share this information on Instagram and we can see who you are and the light that you share shine and it's like hey p.s this is happening because of you know and it's like yeah yeah we need more exactly. people taking this you. drug it's incredible well, that's why i
1: appreciate you letting me tell my story on here because um it's such a small community oh there's 4,300 people in canada and a lot of people aren't ready to talk like i wasn't for 34 years you know so i feel like if there's someone that's well enough to jump on a podcast or well enough to tell their story um yeah, then let's do it, you know, let create opportunities.
0: I know we could continue talking. I do want to touch a little bit here on this pandemic, because I would imagine that this has impacted your life in a big way. You know, are you able to go to the stores right now? Like, what are you doing to stay safe? Oh,
1: no. Yeah, we don't go anywhere. No, <laughs> My husband hasn't worked since February. Uh, he's worked from home. Um I have not gone anywhere since february we actually took my son into school before march break mm-hmm. here in ontario the schools at least in durham the schools had closed down right after march break mm-hmm. but i kind of gave the school and they saw because it's a small community they saw me on the news and that i let them know that if there's some big virus going around i had no idea it would mean this but i said can you just let me know i'll just pick him up he's in junior kindergarten you know like yeah. he can miss a week so the teacher phoned me and she said steph there's 11 kids out like you might want to pick gray up okay uh, I had a lot going on that week. It wasn't super convenient, but, but you know, thank you so much. I picked him up and I thought it was gonna be for the day. And the secretary is like, Oh no, we're we're taking it for the whole week because it is a cesspool in here. It's very dangerous for you. She was like, You shouldn't even be in here. Go. No <laughs> They're kidding. so protective and kind. But um I had no idea that I was gonna be taking him out for until forever, you know. Like yeah. that first week, I started homeschooling. I'm doing videos about this precious little homeschool environment, and then by this last, like the last end of it, it was like, just do the work. You know? like, it was <laughs> it was such a picturesque situation, and it like obviously, I'm sure you understand, it's not easy. Um, but to be honest with you, 2020 has still been one of the best years of my life because. This experience of me ge- being able to ride a bike and go for a jog—my husband can witness it because he's home right now yeah. because of COVID—and yeah, we can't go. Like, I would love to go to HomeSense right now, but it is absolutely not safe for me to go to these stores until there's a vaccine. Like, truly. Um, and the scariest thing about it is someone had shared a document with me that showed, um, like, if we were short of ventilators, who would be. Um, without a ventilator. And they had listed CF, uh, if you have lower than 30% lung function, that you would have been, um, you would not be the first choice. Really? So that you would have been, how how do we say that? Like D, um, I don't know, you would have an awful list for a ventilator. So, uh, which it was crazy because think of this, before COVID, before I had this miracle medicine, my lung function was 28% and it wasn't going up. I was on the road for a lung transplant. They shut down the lung transplant centers due to COVID. So I would have had no chance for a ventilator, and I would have had no chance for a lung function for a lung transplant. Thank God I got this miracle medicine because here I am enjoying life. You going for hikes, having a wonderful time during COVID, you know, respectfully, that's just our life right now. I know it's a hard time for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. really in the grand scheme of things, I'm alive. I don't need to go to homesteads. So we're still being very careful. We're washing all our groceries still. My son doesn't go anywhere. Um, My husband, like none of us go anywhere. We do all grocery pickups. Absolutely. And at one point we had like a volunteer shopper doing our grocery shopping.
0: You know what? And you know, people will listen from all different life experiences and have opinions, but when you break it down, it's like, you're waking up in the morning, you know. You're mm-hmm. with your family. Mm-hmm. All the all the other stuff is just gravy, right? It's like, P- P.S. Home Sense is there's nothing in there anyway. I went the other day. It's like empty. <laughs> I'm like, I just need like a garbage pail. Nothing. Thank you for I'm letting like... me
1: know. Thank you. I feel so good. No, I'm not missing anything. nothing in there. I'm just saving a lot of money.
0: Exactly. But it's <laughs> yeah. It, it really like this is where you know when it comes down to it you know, there's that saying that like, at least you have your health. Right. And when Mm -hmm. it comes to that is really the dream thing. When your health is in a position where you get to be here and you're with your children, the rest is like, whatever, you know, it's, it's, it would be easier for some families. Like we're personally impacted. My husband's out of work, but at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, we're all safe. We're just hanging out in the backyard.
1: To be fair, though, it's so hard to keep that headspace, even though I'm, living the headspace that I'm breathing and I'm still marveling at the lack of crackles while I breathe and the expansion of my lungs. I'm marveling breath every day, but there's still moments where the pandemic is challenging. You know, we're not invincible to it. We are still impacted by it, but it is every time I'm feeling a little bit down that I can't just like, you know, some girlfriend said, Hey, can you, are you comfortable going to a patio yet? And I'm like, no, you guys enjoy but I can't do that yet. You know, like no judgment,
0: (laughs) but I just can't do
1: that yet. So I get a bit bummed, but then I try to bring it back to, but I'm here. Hmm. I know. That's it. I'm here. You are you know? here,
0: and it's it's like the pace yourself thing, right? It's mm-hmm. like yeah. this vaccine will come and life will return to something that looks normal again. But you know, even myself, like I'm getting the conversations in my DMs about mask wearing and people having the right to choose, and I'm like, oh, aren't you so pri- like you have no idea the privilege. Right. that you have by even trying to argue me this point so
1: it's well, you know. Uh, th- somebody um people are complaining that it's hard to breathe in a mask but I had 28 percent lung function and it was mandatory for me to wear a mask in the hospital at all times and I spent weeks in the hospital again and again and again so you can breathe in a mask with 28 percent lung function it's not comfortable but you can breathe so when people say they can't breathe with a mask I'm just like can you not really. <laughs> it's like, how are your lungs doing, you know? They sound great. <laughs> so,
0: Honestly. And yeah. sometimes, you know what, as human beings, we do need a little a little smack, like reminder, you know? Yeah. Yes, it's uncomfortable, but it's temporary. You can go home and run around the backyard. It's fine. So we got to talking and there was a whole section that I wanted to talk about, Stephanie's journey into motherhood, but then I thought maybe we would overwhelmed you enough. So this might be a little excerpt on a second podcast, or I may just include it in this big one. We're going to talk about it for a moment here because it's actually a really beautiful story. So let's just start at the beginning. So tell me a little bit. We got to talking. Okay.
1: So we were just talking about making the choice to be a parent when you have CF and it really was a moral dilemma. You know, my husband and I would talk for five hours at a time. We'd go on road trips and spend the entire time crying because we didn't know if it was fair for me to want a child, fair to be a parent when you don't know what your life expectancy is. You know, there was no, and no one knows what they're going to live to. You know, we could, you know, as they say, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow, but we had some facts around my health, right? <laughs> so uh, we'd finally overcome that. And decided, you know what? This is what we want in life. This is We deserve this. And this is what we see for a future. You live once. This is what we want. So after making that huge decision, um, we started, you know, kind of trying. And then um, my lung collapsed randomly one day when I was working. Uh, and it didn't go back up for eight weeks. So I spent eight oh, weeks wow. in the hospital. Uh, and eventually it did correct itself. But um, after some intervention, it corrected itself. But when you have a lung collapse, there's a 50% chance that your lung will collapse again in the next two years. They just, it's a crapshoot. They just don't know if it'll happen again, right? But it was very delicate, my lung. So we decided we had to wait at least two years before we started trying. Because, you know, you, you've been pregnant. That when you're having a baby and it grows, it pushes up your lungs. So you really don't want that extra pressure on them unless you have strong good lungs. Uh, so we waited the two years, the two years came and, um, we decided that we're going to go ahead and do this. And then I got cancer. I got cancer on my uterus lining. Like if you were to believe in signs, you'd be like, Nope, not for you. Motherhood is not in your cards. <laughs> like, it was just, just it, rude. Was when I, when I, it was rude. <laughs> when I got that diagnosis, I was like, come on. You know, it was just, but at that moment, at that moment, we'd already said, well, okay, well, we're still having a baby. And um, my sister offered to be our surrogate and to birth our baby, which was an amazing thing. Like we had talked when we were little about, it had such a weird conversation to of kids, but we genuinely had said that she'd always have my baby one day. And that was kind of her thought. But then I wanted to do it on my own route. But then the the stars didn't align. So she was there. You know, she's always been my biggest cheerleader. And then she's just like, I'll have your baby. She was actually offended that we didn't ask her. Like, she came over to my house like, one day. We talked like, about
0: this. She's like, I
1: have a phone to pick with you. And I thought it was because I just recently got a new Dyson. I was like, is it because I got the Dyson for you? Like, no, I'll have your baby. And I was like. Oh really it was like it was awkward because it wasn't like this romanticized she was almost like pissed at me like I'll have it so it's like okay then (laughs) so at the time I was waiting to hear back if I needed chemo for my cancer on my uterus lining and I was going for surgery at Sunnybrook uh, and at the beginning of one month I had the surgery and at the end of the same month I had an egg retrieval and knocked up my sister (laughs) So she's working at the time. She comes over on her break at work, gets knocked up, and goes back to work. (laughs) Now that is a good sister. Such a good sister. She's the aunt of the year. Yeah, we did. um, We did. We we knocked my sister up, and she she'd said like stuff like it was not an easy process. There's a lot of needles involved. There's a lot of hard work on the the surrogate side. Like anyone that's a surrogate, those are special type of people. Like it is, even for your own sister, that's an incredibly hard thing to do. And since she did it, so many people have said to me like, oh, I always said that I'd do it for my sister. And I'm like, did you? Cause like, it's very, very tough. So yeah, we went through it. It worked on the first time. We didn't have to go through multiple rounds of IVF. And um, she had my son, August 4th, 2015. And she is the best sister on the absolute planet. She's incredible.
0: So amazing. Oh my gosh. What a story. You know what? It's like, you know, you said (laughs) the believe in science thing. But I mean, the fact that that pregnancy took on the first go, that is a sign. Like, yes, wow. Yeah. Yeah. wow. But
1: I think beyond the moment of me getting my like life lottery miracle medicine, the only moment that traps that is when my sister had her C-section. We just had like my forehead to her forehead. We were both sobbing of every emotion on the spectrum, like fear, Elation, pain on her part, Um, you know, like every emotion on the spectrum, but we just were forehead to forehead crying. And while my son was being taken out of her body, and it was just like that was the whole moment that my life shifted and changed. And I realized that, wow, like people are just really good. And I really admired the sense of community that we had during this whole process. Um, We actually had four people seriously offer to be our surrogate six people in in as a whole but i feel like two of them were like "Eh." Um, but at the end of the day it was meant to be my sister and i wouldn't have had it any other way and we have this incredible we've always had an incredible bond but since she did that as well it just was like a cherry on top you know it's just she's an angel she's just an
0: amazing person honestly girl you need to write a book (laughs) because <laughs> I'd buy it. But you <laughs> like, I'd love to write a book one day. I don't know if anyone honestly, wants to see this. <laughs> I do. It is, yeah. you know, I know you said at the top of the episode, like it's hard, it's heavy information. There are some dark mm-hmm. times, but I mean, who doesn't love a story with like, woo, when those clouds parted and that little baby and your beautiful life and the way that you appreciate those moments and for people to step up and show you so much love in that way. Like it's, I just like, I feel like I'm so overwhelmed. There's like so many feelings of feeling, but it's just
1: been very overwhelmed and people's generosity in general in the last several years, even with this social media campaign I did to get this miracle medicine. I had this one woman that I've never met. She wrote 10 letters to the government and also emailed 10. I've never met her, but she's like, would you rather email or me write? Forget it. I'll do both. And I had these people send me pictures of I mean, the only thing I've ever mailed before this experience was my wedding invites, you know? So for people to be sitting there writing letters and having their husband write letters, they've never even met me. I just think that the power of community on social media, it can be so incredibly wonderful and positive and bright. I know there's so many times we go on social media and we think, oh, you know, maybe I'll cancel my account. We see people taking a social media break. But if you can carve out this little community of really great people and kind of ignore the rest in a way mm-hmm. um, you can just take out this amazing piece of the internet and you know you can find so much support like you know in addition to your own community and your own life
0: I 100% agree with you on that. And that is what I'm constantly seeking and honestly mm-hmm. trying to create because there's enough of that hard stuff. And it's like, if you can have people in your court, like she didn't even meet you and she was writing those letters. It goes to show yeah. too, just how good it actually makes the person feel to help.
1: People you know? want to help people. Yeah, absolutely. They do. I really, truly believe that. I think there's far more people that want to help than want to hurt. And I don't know, I've just experienced so much kindness. Even the woman that was personal shopping for us during covid it was a volunteer that lived locally it's just a girl that's off of you know come home from university that wants to make a difference and when she wasn't shopping for people she was making masks for people like there's just some really wonderful people if you pay attention to them you know you just have to tune them in you know
0: honestly and it's such a story you know when i think about all the little moments that you've had like it is truly like you got cracked open and look at all the beauty. You know, when you think yeah. all that's going to come in is darkness and yeah. you made a space. Yeah. And that's where all that light just went right in there. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Girl, start writing that book. <laughs> yeah. I so appreciate you sharing your story with me today. Um, what's next for you? So you're working with Get Loud. Yep. You know, are yeah, you... No, get Loud...
1: It's, it's something that I want to see grow and grow. Um, there's such a need for it. I don't see it going anywhere. Even if we get Trikafta into Canada, it's not the last innovative drug. and It's not the cure. So I see us always having to clear a path for innovation here in Canada and always a need to help CF patients. And, and that's what I'm all about. I'd love to see it grow into an actual foundation one day. Um At the moment, there's not a place for it, but I I see that happening in the future. Um, And I'd love to just do more public speaking. I started doing that before I got very sick, doing some public speaking for sick kids. But I'd love to get better at it, you know, feel more comfortable, feel less sweaty up on a stage, you know. (laughs) I just love to feel like I can be a storyteller and evolve my story.
0: You have a wonderful story to tell. It's very, I mean, I'm very moved from it. I know people listening are going to feel the same. And I just think you, you know what? Keep going in that direction. Cause it's, we need to hear more of that. You know, how can we follow and support Get Loud?
1: Uh, get Loud on Instagram is CF Get Loud. And on Facebook is a much wider community right now. And it's at CF Get Loud Canada.
0: Perfect. And then of course, where can we find you? Rosie Life with Gray. Rosie Life with Gray, and she recently shared a little get to know me. So go check it out. Uh, and I did have a giggle because I may have said this at the top. But you're like, my name is not Rosie, but easy for people. <laughs> yeah. Easy for people to realize that. And I love when you share your little boy is like tiny baby model. Like what the heck? He is a beautiful human. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> and you guys just seem to have. I know we don't see it all, but you seem to have a really fun house like you guys have a lot of fun with that little guy and we
1: don't take life too seriously around here we do we really don't we've gained a lot of perspective over the last five years having a lot of time in emergency rooms you gain a lot of perspective so if we are home if we're cozy if nobody's hooked up to any sort of machines or iv poles we're all very happy around here. So if you, you know, if you see us online, just hanging out on our porch, that's our happy place with a cup of
0: tea. And that is life for us right now. I love it. Well, thanks, Stephanie. This was awesome. Thank Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Bye for now.